Story 5. Finding a Place to Rest Traveling with a broken arm was more painful than Pana had expected. For a while, they had tried to deal with it, but it quickly became apparent that they would need to rest. But they couldn't rest for long. One night after they had gone to sleep, Wave Skimmer woke up, signaling that there were people nearby. The two of them finished packing everything and had just gotten back into the air when Pana spotted Vare in her bright fur coat and the pale Kai moving on the ground beneath them. Whether or not Vare could hear Pana yelping in pain as each wing beat jerked them around, they didn't know. Regardless, there was no way they could proceed as incautiously as they had before. They would have to find a new way to travel, avoiding aggravating Pana's injury whilst staying hidden from their pursuers. If only we knew what else was out there, we might have an idea of how to hide and where to go next, Pana said. Wave Skimmer nodded wistfully. It was with some surprise when they came across a group of people traveling in a cart pulled by a pair of Yorbak. Whether or not they would be terrified by a dragon, Pana didn't know. In the end, they decided that Wave Skimmer would drop Pana off well ahead of the cart and then disappear into the forest while Pana waited for the cart to wheel on by. The figure sitting in the front of the cart gave a start when they saw Pana. A friendly smile on their face turned into concern, and they ran their hands over their bald head. They pulled back on the reins, and the Yorbacks stopped, digging their clawed feet into the ground. Are you all right? The figure called, his words almost blending together as he spoke. Pana nodded, grimacing as a jolt of pain ran along their arm. I'll be fine, I think, but I fell on some rocks. My arm isn't in great shape. Without giving them time to say more, the person jumped off of the cart and whistled. Two more people followed him off of the cart. A tall, black woman with curly hair, and an elderly, bespectacled woman whose tied-back hair may have been blonde or white. The first woman helped the latter get down from the cart. My name is Bob, said the man who had been directing the Yorbacks. He gestured to his companions. This is Tally and MC. Can we assist you? Pana nodded, and immediately Tally got to work checking and rebandaging their arm. All the while, Bob continued to speak, distracting them from focusing on the twinges of pain every time Tally touched them. I'm a carpenter, though right now the three of us are working and living out on a farm. Bring in some vegetables into town today, actually. Don't do much healing myself. Work a lot with wood. A lot with wood. Built most of the ranch we work on. Finches, sheds, the house, even this cart. Also some neat contraptions, just to help with the work, you know? We used to have to log water all the way from the river, over a mile away, and now the water runs to us. Imagine that. Built a little channel that brings just enough for us to have drinking water on hand. Also helps with the farming. There's plenty of rain, of course, but it helps to have some extra, you know, just in case. MC here helped map out a route for the channel. Don't know what I'd do without her. Well, said the bespectacled woman, eyes darting between the ground and the trees around them and anything that wasn't Pana. Anyone can find a path, you just need to know where to look. She fidgeted with a sheet of paper in one pocket and a piece of charcoal in the other. Tally looked up from her work, though she didn't stop wrapping Pana's arm, long enough to say, Oh, MC, how you are able to create such exquisite maps, I'll never know. She can get you anywhere. And with a final tug, she tied the bandage around Pana's shoulder, securing their arm in place. Immediately, Pana felt better. Their arm no longer felt like an open fire whenever they moved. 
They thanked Tally, who beamed at them. She said, You'll also be needing some new clothes. Look at those tears. You look like you've been running through thorns. Where are you headed? Asked Bob, after Pana had been given a new blue shirt, one of Tally's, and an untorn pair of pants. Nowhere in particular. Just exploring the land. We've never been this far away from home before. MC nodded. Oh, you must mean you and your dragon friend? My... What? Bob and Tally looked at MC. What? She said. I don't need to have an extensive history with dragons to know that bright yellow feather crouching in the bushes over there is one. You can't tell me you weren't wondering about it either, she said when her companions shook their heads in disbelief. Sensing it would be safe for Wave Skimmer to approach, Pana signaled to him. He bounded over, wagging his tail. He would have given them a big lick but paused when he saw the new bandage. He settled on gingerly clicking the side of their face. Bob, Tally, and MC didn't ask too many questions. They seemed to want to respect Pana's privacy, for which Pana was thankful. As they had discussed with Wave Skimmer the night before, it was probably best if not too many people knew about where they had come from and why they had left. So instead, Pana asked the others questions as they headed towards the port, curious about this part of the world. MC had come from some old ruins where a group of people still lived, but Bob and Tally had lived nearby their whole lives, growing up in what they called the port. You mean to tell me you've never seen a boat before? asked Bob, when Pana asked what a port was, then what a boat was. I used to work on building them. Had a knack for getting the keel just right. Tally had worked what she called odd jobs, most of which involved talking with or helping people. Pana had never enjoyed company all that much, but Tally seemed to revel in it, telling them more about the people she worked with rather than the actual jobs. Pana found themselves smiling whenever Tally laughed at a particularly fond memory of hers. A sign appeared along the path, indicating that they were nearing the port. Bob nudged Tally, and she fell silent. MC continued to stare at her maps. Bob asked, Are you heading into the port with us? We can drop you off here if you'd like. I think I might go into the port with you. That boat thing you were talking about sounds really interesting, Pana told Bob. Yeah, you should be able to find a captain who can bring you across the bay. The big, big expanse of water, he explained when Pana looked puzzled. Without looking up from her maps, MC exclaimed, It's nearly impossible to track someone taking a boat unless the tracker has a way of keeping you in sight the entire time. Or another boat. Oh, don't tell me like we're pretending you're not being chased now. In the end, Pana and Wave Skimmer decided that they would go looking for a boat. They had thought tracking a dragon would be hard, but somehow Vare seemed to be able to find them. The slow pace with which they had to travel couldn't have been helping. Maybe switching up how they traveled and voyaging in this new way would shake Vare off their tails and give Pana an opportunity to recover a little. Besides, Pana didn't think that Vara knew how to walk on water. Did she? The other three seemed unsurprised by Wave Skimmer's decision to go with Pana into the port. Not sure how other people were going to react. Big dragon walks into town. Might cause a bit of a scene. But people may think he's just another animal, suggested Bob. It turned out that they needn't have worried. Wave Skimmer walked alongside the cart, Pana on his back, as they all entered the port town. Most people seemed too busy to really spare a thought about this newcomer, 
Some glanced at him, but seemed to judge him as being as docile as the Orbax next to him. They weren't entirely wrong. Bob, Tally, and MC led them to the edge of town where the harbor was. Wooden piers jutted out into the water. Strange contraptions, some curved and some that resembled flat squares, were floating in the water next to the piers, moored to the wooden pillars rising upwards. People were climbing on top of them, hauling cages and nets. Pana looked on in excitement, hoping to see one of the boats leave the dock and go out into the harbor, but no one seemed to be moving anywhere. That's odd, Bob said. What are all the boats doing in here? Never seen the harbor so full. Must be something keeping everyone in. You know not every day is a good day to go fishing, Bob, explained MC. Yeah, yeah, just like some days just aren't good days for breathing. Well, if a volcano were to explode, it really wouldn't be for breathing or fishing. Assuming, of course, the fish aren't adapted to mag tally cut in. Good luck finding a ship, Captain. Hope you have a safe journey. If you need anything, we'll be at the farmer's market down the block. She hugged Pana, who felt themselves grow a little warm with discomfort. When she let go, Pana turned and hugged Wave Skimmer and felt much better. Human contact had always felt a bit strange. Dragon contact, or at least contact with Wave Skimmer, felt less hostile. The group departed, and Pana and Wave Skimmer were left alone on the middle of a crowded street in the port. People gave them a wide berth, only glancing at the two of them as they walked by, but no one bothered them. Voices called out, not quite shouting yet not merely chatting, alerting everyone nearby to the wares being sold. Stalls set up alongside the road held various kinds of plants, many more than there had been in Riotho or back home. There were only a few kinds of meats being sold. There had been no fish up north, but there were plenty here. Multiple colored scales sparkled as they walked by. Other vendors sold clothing, hammers, rakes, odd pieces of metal that had been found in nearby ruins, fishing lines and nets, replacement pieces to boats. People would walk up to the stalls and hand over food or other odds and ends in exchange for the goods being sold. Unlike the village up north, no one here seemed to simply be given the thing that they needed. They had to offer something of their own in exchange. The buildings in front of which these transactions took place were not much larger than the stalls themselves. Most had three walls and an opening away from the water. Salt formed on the outside of the three walls, but not on the side with the opening. Though they hadn't been walking for very long, Pana rubbed to the back of their neck and felt salt stick to their hand. It seemed to accumulate everywhere. Pana and Wave Skimmer made their way to the boats. Only a few had decks large enough for a dragon, but most of those were unattended. Their captains and crew must have been out on the land somewhere, wandering through the port. After looking around the piers for an hour, Pana was going to give up when they noticed the top of a curly-haired head barely poking out above the railings of a nearby boat. This boat was almost ten times the size of Wave Skimmer, and four times as tall. It didn't even fit alongside the pier it was tied to. Most of its bulk jutted out into the water. A small house seemed to be built on the deck, which Pana found odd, until they thought that the crew must need some sort of shelter out at sea. They cupped their hands around their mouth and did their best to yell out to the person sitting on the boat. After the fourth time, they saw the curly hair move. A face popped up from behind the railing. Hello, a voice gently called out from above. I mean, ahoy there, matey. We need a place to rest, Kai insisted, even if just for a moment. 
you're hurt, and we're both tired, and we could do with some time to restock our supplies, reorganize, and make a plan. We won't catch Pana if we don't take care of ourselves first. It almost sounds like you care more about me than the mission, insinuated Vare. Kai shrugged. Maybe, but your health is key to the success of that mission. Vare didn't like it, but she had to admit that Kai was right. She had been so focused on finding Pana that the two of them hadn't been hunting or collecting food or doing much resting. One night they had scrambled over some rocks and were only a few hundred meters from Pana when Vari put her weight on her broken right hand and let out a short scream. That infernal dragon woke up and alerted Pana, escaping before she could catch up with them. At least it sounded like Pana was still in pain from their injuries. It would do no good to continue the search until after Vare had healed, at least a little, and the two of them had resupplied as Kai had suggested. Fortunately for them, they stumbled upon a woman collecting plants in the woods who directed them towards the port. When they asked her what the name of the port was, she seemed confused. It's the port, she explained. There's only one of them. Why give it an extra name when there's nothing else to confuse it with? Kai responded. Oh, that makes sense. Kind of like how our village is just called the village. Until a few weeks ago, we didn't really know people lived anywhere else. Sure, let's go and find this port, said Vare. Or about trees, or rivers, or dirt, or what it is like to be roasting. Seriously, am I the only one missing snow? The port was much larger than their village, or any village that the two women had passed by during their travels. People milled about on streets behind rows of tightly packed buildings. Layers of salt formed along the walls and roofs, and even in people's hair. Stalls had been set up throughout the street, and people called out to Vare and Kai from behind them, hoping to sell various goods and services. One young individual with short hair and sparkly earrings grabbed Vare's arm and tried to sell her something called a watch. It tells, it tells the time, the salesperson said when asked what a watch was. It tells the time what? asked Vare. The salesperson stood there with their mouth open as Vare and Kai walked away. Not far from the hubbub of the street, Vare spotted a wall. Beyond it rose buildings larger than any she had ever seen. They even had multiple levels. None of them seemed to have salt-encrusted walls. Water poured down from the very tops of the roofs, preventing any salt from accumulating. When the water reached the ground, it flowed into the harbor through small channels that had been dug out and lined with rocks. Vare walked closer to the wall, and then stopped as a thin piece of wood topped with a sharp stone flew past her face and embedded itself into a man's leg behind her. Upon hearing the man's screams, the rest of the people on the street ran for cover. Only one person stayed behind to help the man. The newcomer, a bald, tall man, lifted up the injured man and carried him around the corner. Turning to see where the projectile had come from, Vare saw a figure covered in grayish-white scales. Shells, she would later learn standing on top of the wall. He held some sort of device with a string. He pulled it back, released it, and Vare saw another pointy stick thud into the ground next to her big toe. Vare reached for her knife. She had been planning to scale the wall and drive the attacker back before she remembered her right hand was out of commission. She could fight but couldn't climb. She decided to call out to the man. Hey! You got two seconds before I call the town guard. Or before I take you out. Not sure if I'm willing to wait long enough for them to get here. She dropped her knife and picked up a hefty stone. It would do. Town guard? The man sputtered. That's me! He launched another projectile, which flew over Vare's head. 
He then fell backwards off the wall as he avoided the rock that Vare had tossed his way. She could hear him land on the other side with a clatter. And then a bell began to ring and feet pounded into the ground. A gate began to slowly rise into the wall. Kai tugged on Vare's arm, hissing, Come on! Together, they ran away from the wall, back through the now empty streets. Footsteps rang out behind them. Neither of them knew where they were going, but when the bald man poked his head out from around a building, beckoning them forward, they ran over to him. Two women sat in a cart being pulled by two Yorbaks. Each held a corner of a tarp. Vare and Kai jumped into the cart and felt the tarp being thrown over them, hiding them from view. The sound of rushing feet drew nearer, then stopped. Hello there, a friendly voice called out. Can I help you all with something? You look a tad distressed. Bob, did you see who injured Don? He was on guard duty at the Vlacky house and fell from the wall. Now how did he fall from the wall? Is he injured? No, he's fine. Actually, doesn't appear to have a mark on him. A pause. Well, I don't mean to imply nothing, but Nan does have some habits. Must make standing on that narrow wall really hard. No disrespect to Nan, of course. Idiot drinks all day. Certainly doesn't deserve any respect. Well, if you see anyone, Bob, let us know. I don't want to string anyone up, but the Flackies probably will. They get bored if no one has screamed in a while. Think they're better than everyone else just because they can afford to live in their fancy palace. Fari heard the guard spit. <laughs> I'll tell them it was a false alarm. Might still kill someone for it, mind you. Good day, Bob. MC. Tally. When the sound of footsteps had disappeared, the tarp was pulled back and sunlight was suddenly reintroduced to Vare's eyes. The bald man, Bob, helped her and Kai up. It isn't smart drone rocks at the Vlackies, guards. You're lucky Belgulf is a fair and kind man. But not everyone in the guard is. They see you attacking a guard, or, heaven forbid, stop them from stealing some poor farmer's crops, they might throw you over the wall. I've survived worse, said Vare. Kai nodded enthusiastically. Who are the Vlackies? Are they town elders? Leaders of some kind. The white-haired woman laughed. Bob said, You could call them the town leaders, but really they're just some thieves who bully the rest of us into giving them way more than they deserve. Avasting, yo-ho! The curly-haired woman said, doing her best to speak with gusto, but failing. She had leaped down from the side of the boat, sliding along the line, keeping it attached to the pier. Though her landing was a little clumsy, she stood up from her fall like someone who had done this many times. Um, I'm sorry. I don't know what that means, admitted Pana. The woman's expression remained neutral. Honestly, me neither. But sailors are supposed to say that. So, she stopped talking and pointed at Wave Skimmer. Big lizard. Um, yeah, he certainly is. The three of them looked at each other for a moment. Pana, though never really comfortable around humans, was even more uncomfortable than usual. They were unsure how to proceed, and it was clear that the captain was not going to start talking. They decided on a simple introduction. My name is Pana, and this is Wave Skimmer. The woman nodded a few times. That's a pretty name. She nodded again. Oh, my name. Mine is Like. Hello, Like. Hello. Wave Skimmer gently smacked his head on the side of the boat. So, um, I'm looking for a boat. And a captain, I suppose. I, I hope you find a boat. And a captain. Ideally, the captain of said boat. Pana raised an eyebrow. 
Are you not the captain? Like nodded. I am. Well, I suppose that means that you found a captain then. Good job! She continued nodding, and then suddenly stopped her head. Oh, you mean you're looking for a captain? To bring you across the bay. Not as a hypothetical exercise. Now Pana nodded, and had to focus really hard to not nod more than once, lest Like thought they were imitating her. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone else, but if you're able to transport us, that would be great. I would love to, but I can't. Gotta get ready for the storm. What storm? That storm that's coming. Should be here in about... tomorrow. Like, leaned forward and whispered gravely, I thought everyone knew about it. Pano looked up as Like pointed out towards the water. Dark clouds were being pushed across the sky. For the first time, Pana noticed the wind, steadily moving in over the land and making the tree branches all around the port shake. They ran their finger over their cheek, scraping off a thin layer of salt. So, we can't go across? No, not yet. I'd be happy to take you once the storm passes if we're still alive. Storms here are pretty bad and tend to flood everything. You see, as a storm approaches the coastline, the area where the land and the water meet, the winds push the water along the surface, creating waves. Those waves can batter down buildings, but also the water level itself rises beyond what it would ordinarily rise to, even during high tide. The water level falls and rises over time. It's really fascinating. Pana wasn't following along entirely, but the excitement with which Like spoke about the tides and the storms and waves was infectious. They weren't sure why Like was so jolly about it all. They weren't looking forward to this storm, but they found the information itself fascinating. They looked at Wave Skimmer. Now that their arm was bandaged properly, riding on Wave Skimmer wouldn't be as painful as it had been. Flying away would still hurt, but it might be doable. They could hide from the storm in a cave or in a forest. Pana asked, like, is there anywhere for the people here to wait out the storm? Ever nodding, like said, not really. The Blackie House usually stands through any storm. Those walls keep the water out and prevent the worst of the wind damage. Everyone else either puts up a fourth wall on their hut or hides in a boat and hopes for the best. So, if everyone waited out the storm in the Blackie House, they would be fine? Yes, but no one is allowed in there. The guards will kill you to death before you can get past the wall. Assuming you can get past the wall. Like invited the two of them to stay on the boat with her telling them that they would be relatively, if not entirely, safe there. After all, she had told them, how often do you get to spend some quality time with the dragon? Wave Skimmer had whimpered nervously at this. The storm was still a day away, but already people arrived at the harbor, looking for shelter on board the larger vessels. They brought only a few possessions and food with them in order to make as much space as possible for other people. Some of the children had entered the boat crying, afraid of leaving their homes behind. But upon seeing Wave Skimmer, they immediately brightened. In no time at all, Wave Skimmer had small humans swinging from his neck, hiding between his spines, sliding down his tail, all while their parents stood by, watching anxiously. While their friend was occupied, Pana walked through the port. All around them, people were placing bags of sand against the base of their houses. Wooden panels were being placed in the open fourth side of every building. And stalls that had been set up along the street had been folded into small boxes and taken inside. They saw a familiar bald head walking towards them. Bob balanced a bag of sand on each shoulder. Beside him trotted an elderly man wielding a short cane. Well, hey there, Pana. Find your captain? Oh, oh, she's not mine. She's an independent captain. Oh, Bob said, raising an eyebrow. 
Pana fidgeted nervously. But, but she said we can't go yet. We can't leave until after the storm is over. Bob placed the sandbags alongside a nearby building. The elderly man thanked him and pointed back the way they had come from. Gotta get some more sand. This house isn't watertight yet. Didn't realize the storm was coming so soon. Otherwise, I would have mentioned it when we saw you in the woods. Hope you found a place to wait it out. Pana told him about Like and the boat. Bob smiled. Like's a good one. Awkwardness and all. She'd take everyone on board if she could. Wish there were more people like her. But there aren't. And we're not going to be able to get everyone to safety in time. Tally said, walking up behind Pana. MC is out on the edge of the city, helping to dig channels and construct berms. If we had come into the port a few days earlier, maybe we would have been able to help out more. Pana thought of the Vlaki house that Like had mentioned. They could even see the giant walls and buildings rising far above the rest of the port. Though not anywhere near the size of the ruined city they had found the stone in, these buildings could comfortably hold multiple villages. Everyone from the port could be safe if those gates were open to them. Some people will still have to shelter on the boats, but not many. According to Bob and Tally, the Vaki family was really small. Sprarbor and his wife, Claude, only had three kids, and none of them had kids of their own. Bob couldn't remember their names, but all of them, kids and parents, had stolen, threatened, and probably killed in order to acquire as many resources as they now had. Most people in the port were fair and would trade items for what they were actually worth. Not the Vlaki's. They never did anything unless they walked away from it with more than they had before. When they had accumulated a stockpile of food, clothing, tools, and boats, they were able to build their house and recruit people to act as guards. The ships that they sent out returned with spoils meant only for them. When the rest of the port came to them in years of drought or famine, they had been turned away with nothing. It was so unlike anything Pana had experienced. Back home, everyone took care of everyone else. That's why Vari was after them. Because everyone thought they had somehow directed the dragons to kill the people in that hunting party. And it was the responsibility of everyone in the village to make sure that the crime, real or not, was accounted for. Whenever there was a storm in the village, everyone would help each other to prepare for it. Bob caught them staring at the Great Walls. Nothing you can do about it, he said. I've tried appealing to them. Know a lot of the guards, but they ain't about to budge. Not now. The best thing you can do is to help me board up some of these houses. And so... Pana picked up a hammer and began nailing additional wooden boards to houses. Yet another person fell onto Pana's lap as a wave crashed into the boat. There was barely any room to move. The air felt musty. Though Lyke had done her best to seal the boat, water still managed to make its way into the main cabin. Pana imagined the Vlackies, dry in their fortress, protected by walls and drainage channels. They had watched the house all day and had seen no one enter the gates. Guards stood under tarps they had strung up on top of the wall. The storm had only just begun, so it wasn't as bad as it would get. Still, the boat was dangerously close to being lifted onto the land. The streets were covered in a thin film of water. Children huddled against their parents, partly out of fear and partly to maintain their balance. The adults sat wherever they could find space, doing their best to rest. It had been a lot of work trying to get ready for the storm. Now, all they could do was wait. Wave Skimmer had decided to wait beneath the boat. He had dug himself a small cave in the seafloor. Able to breathe underwater, he could rest there, leaving more space on the boat available for the humans. The children had been sad to see him leave their side, but they understood why he had decided to go. Bob, Tally, and MC had also decided to stay on the boat with their two Yorbacks. 
Tally kept up everyone's morale with stories and songs, while Bob checked provisions and the integrity of the boat. MC was bent over maps she had drawn of the storm's predicted trajectory, already planning how best to recover from it. A soggy like stomped through the cabin. It's very wet outside, on account of the water and all, she told Pana, flicking her head and showering everyone nearby with water. What a storm, and it's not even at its full strength yet. At least everyone is inside. Well, not exactly, no. She nodded her head a few times, and what Pana now recognized was her way of thinking through something. It looks like a portion of the port was destroyed. Most of the waves aren't too bad now, but one of them must have been carrying a fallen tree, because now there is a row of broken houses and one really big tree. Pana looked up at Like as she spoke. Pana tried to keep their own voice down as they asked, Are the people all right? It looks like it. They're all standing outside of the Vlacky house. Tali, who had been standing nearby, whispered, What are they doing there? They'll be killed for sure. If the storm doesn't do them in, then the guards certainly will. Bob, Like, Tally, and MC all frowned. No one looked like they had any hope for those people. After all, how could they, knowing full well that the Vlackies had never opened their doors in past catastrophes? Bob had just been telling Pana of the man who had been shot earlier. Pana hadn't been able to save their friends and neighbors from the dragon attack up north. But they could certainly try to save these people. They grabbed a thin, water-resistant coat that Like had given them and walked into the storm. The tree had almost taken off her head! Vare silently thanked the world for looking out for her. She and Kai had been helping seal up houses well after the storm had started. Only when her bandage had become soggy and had started falling off did Vare allow Kai to lead her into a small house where she could have her hand rebandaged. They stayed there for a few hours, listening to the rain try to dig its way through the roof, and the waves begin to lap against the sandbags. And then the tree came through the wall. Vare's white fur coat kept her mostly dry. Kai, on the other hand, was drenched, having lost her fur coat back in the mysterious tomb. Her short, pale hair was no longer pointing directly up, but was now lilting on her forehead. Maybe if they weren't standing in the middle of a storm, it would have been funny. Other people stood nearby, emerging from houses that had also been hit by the tree. No one seemed sure where to go. They looked around, waiting to see what everyone else would do. Maybe we can find a place in the forest? suggested Kai. There must be caves somewhere out there. Vare gazed out over the port. She saw the man who had been wounded before by the guard on top of the wall. She turned and walked away from the wreckage. There's no need to go look for a new shelter. I know where we can go. Oh, good. Where exactly are we going? As the two of them walked, people began to follow. They recognized the two women who had been helping them prepare for the storm. There was nowhere else to go, and so they decided to follow these outsiders, wondering if perhaps they knew of a way to stay safe that the locals didn't. The group continued until they came to the wall. Someone else may have turned to the group of people at that point, urging them to be brave and to charge forward so that they might take what rightfully belonged to them all, to lift up their arms against oppression, to save themselves from the impending storm. Fari walked to the front gate and knocked with her left hand. Open up! She shouted. Kai tapped her foot on the ground. You really think they'll open the gate? She asked. A sliver of wood in the gate slid to the side creating an opening just wide enough for a guard to peek out of it. His eyes quickly scanned the crowd. What are you all doing outside? You'll get sick in this weather. These people just lost their homes. They need shelter. Now get this gate open. 
No can do, the guard said. The Vlachis were very clear. Don't let anyone inside these gates, they said. I'd like to help, I really would, but I'm afraid it isn't possible. You turn your back on these people? You leave them out here to face the storm on their own when you have the space to help them? Look, I need this job so I can feed my family. Fari was getting cold and decided she wasn't interested in standing around chatting. She jabbed a finger through the opening and poked the guard in the eye. He howled with pain and staggered backwards. Others on top of the wall darted closer to them. One of those sharp sticks landed in the ground near her. Rocks also fell from overhead. Most of the crowd pushed forward as the projectiles began to fly. They launched themselves at the gate, pushing it with all their might. It's never going to budge, exclaimed Kai. She picked up one of the rocks from the floor and threw it back up at the guards. It hit one of them in the shoulder, cracking their shelled armor. Vare placed her left hand on the wall, looking for some sort of handhold. Not only was it smooth, but the water made it slippery as well. Even if it had been climbable, when Vare attempted to raise her right hand, she remembered that it was currently broken. A woman stumbled behind her as a rock hit her in the chest. Kai caught her and gently leaned her against the wall. She had thought that she could get into the walls, that she could ensure that everyone lived through the storm. Instead, she had put them all in harm's way. She had led them to their deaths. And then she saw the dragon. It strode through the rain, scales sparkling in every different color as it walked. People stopped what they were doing to watch the dragon's progress. Even the guards on top of the walls stopped attacking as they watched. Pana sat on top of the dragon. They calmly made their way through the parting crowd and toward the gate. If they had spotted Vare, they made no sign of it. She hunched her shoulders and hid between a cluster of people. Her fingers hovered over her knife. The guard who had spoken to her through the gate called out, telling the other guards to let everyone in. Maybe it was the presence of the iridescent dragon, or maybe Pana had managed to get through to the guard where Vare had not, but now everyone began marching inside the walls. They trampled over statues and topiary, making their way towards the front doors of the house itself. Guards from the wall joined them, handing out weapons to the people who had come through the gate. She could see Bob refuse a hammer that was proffered to him. The front doors opened. Vare thought that the crowd was being admitted to the house, and then saw more guards rush out forming a wall between the crowd and the opened doors. Unlike the guards who had been outside, these ones wore metal armor and carried large knives. Swords, Vare reminded herself. Short red capes were draped over their right shoulders. Behind them stood a man wearing long red robes, trimmed in gold. None of you is welcome here, the man yelled, his deep voice projecting through the rain. Turn back before I have my guards disperse you. Vare watched Pana ride forward on the dragon. Their hair was drenched and hung heavily over one shoulder. Their clothes hugged closely to their body. Condensation swirled around them as water hit the dragon and immediately began to boil on its rainbow-colored scales. Their eyes were facing forward, toward the man who must be Sprarbor. Vare could see Pana's teeth clenched together. When Pana spoke, Vare wasn't sure she recognized them. The voice was deeper than it normally was. Anger and force reverberated around the courtyard. You will share your home with these people, or be destroyed. You death threaten me! No, I am merely telling you. Your destruction is your choice. Sprarbor's eyes widened. It took a moment for Vare to realize that he was looking above Pana. She turned and saw a wave far taller than the building. All around the courtyard, people were pointing up. No one was screaming. They were either too exhausted 
or simply hadn't expected to survive the entirety of the storm anyway. Guards dropped their weapons as they watched the wave near the harbor. One man lowered himself to the ground and bowed towards the water. Still, Pano looked towards the red-robed figure. There was a flash of light emanating from their eyes. Was it dark blue? It had been too fast to be certain. You will let these people into your home. Sprarbor shook his head and squealed. Pana reached into a bag hanging off of the dragon saddle and pulled out the blue stone that Vare had briefly held at the waterfall. At least, Vare thought it was the same stone. The color had been odd, but the shape was indistinct. When she had held it, it had been smooth and round, like most of the stones lining the falls. Now it was flat. The dragon turned around, and Pana held up the stone, facing one of the flat surfaces towards the moving wall of water. The stone glowed brightly, casting a dark blue light on the entirety of the port. Vare wanted to close her eyes, but couldn't. She felt Kai grab onto her arm, cutting off blood circulation to her injured hand. She made no attempt to break free from Kai's grasp. The water was about to hit the piers when it suddenly started flowing into the air above the boats. Not a drop of water touched any of the buildings, nor any of the trees for that matter. Even outside of the actual area of the port, the water flowed above the land. Animals that had hidden in nests, caves, or burrows vacated them to gaze at the water. The rain stopped as the water flowed above the heads of the port people, reflecting the blue light of the stone back down on them. Vara looked up and saw the water rushing through the sky like a river. A single thin tendril dropped down from the current and whipped across Sparbor's face, leaving a vertical red line running down his forehead, nose, and chin. The rest of the water continued on towards the edge of the village. Just as suddenly as it had come, the water started flowing back out towards the harbor. Everyone watched it go. The stone stopped glowing as brightly, and Pana slumped forward in the dragon saddle, unconscious. By the time the rain started again, the guards, Bob, Tally, and MC were already directing people inside the Vaki house. Sparbor had already ran inside, presumably to lock himself in a room. The dragon carefully walked inside once the rest of the crowd had entered the building. It didn't notice Vare and Kai standing next to the wall. Should we take them out? asked Kai. We may not get a chance like this again. Pana isn't looking so hot right now. Not that they ever looked hot. Vare looked out at the harbor. Pana had just saved all those people, just as Vare had been trying to do, except they had succeeded. No, she said. No. Let's go in and keep our distance. It's better if they don't know we're here. But if we ever touch Pana or that dragon, everyone in that building is going to be calling for our heads. It's too dangerous. We'll rest and then follow them out of the port once the storm is over. They slipped into the house just before the giant doors closed. Sunlight threw itself onto the floor and the walls of the Vlaki house as the front doors were opened. Everyone paused in the entranceway on their way out, allowing the sun to hit their bodies before walking out to the streets of the port. Everything was soggy, but aside from the houses hit by the tree early on in the storm, nothing was destroyed. People meandered through the streets, finding loved ones and holding them close. From the decks of boats, even more people descended. Music rang out through the morning air. Nectorians leaped through the air, bouncing from rooftop to rooftop, roaring as they searched for flowers. A pair of doflas chased each other through the otherwise still water around the boats. A child saw them and laughed with glee. The gates to the Vaki house remained open, even after the last of the refugees from the storm left. 
The guards left their posts on the wall and could be seen throughout the port, helping to reconstruct homes, handing out food, and assisting in whatever capacity they could. Whenever one task was completed, the guards would turn to Bob, who directed them towards someone else who needed help. Pana couldn't walk a foot without being stopped by someone. Everyone seemed to want to thank them for stopping the wave and for bringing them all to safety in the Vlaki house. Pana accepted their thanks clumsily. Wave Skimmer may have been awkward as well, but no one could tell. They just loved petting him and hearing him giggle as they scratched his neck. When the two of them finally found a moment to themselves, they were interrupted by Bob. Hey there, he called, walking over to their spot beneath Lyke's boat. Don't think I properly thanked you for saving the port. That was impressive. Don't mention it, said Pana. I'm not even sure what I did. It's all kind of a blur. They remembered flashes of what happened. They had ridden on Wave Skimmer through the crowd and the open gate, had seen the doors to the house open, and then they spoke in a voice that wasn't quite their own. It wasn't that someone else had taken over their body exactly, but had nudged them to act in a way that was a little braver than they normally were. They remembered feeling right, purposeful, and then the water had flowed overhead. Bob said, well, whatever the case, we're all grateful. He stopped and nodded at a guard who walked by, carrying two long pieces of wood under his arms. The guard nodded back. He even got the Vlackies to start giving back to this community instead of taking from it. He turned to look at Pana, brown eyes meeting brown eyes. I wonder, what else are you capable of? Wave Skimmer raised his head and roared into the air before giving Pana a sloppy kiss. They fell over laughing. Bob and Wave Skimmer laughed as well. Well said, called a voice. MC walked over with Tali right behind her. Hi, for one, can't wait to see what you will do with that stone of yours. Traveling with you should be quite interesting. MC, Tali and Bob said. What now? Don't tell me I can't share the good news. Tali replied, well, we haven't asked them if we can travel together yet. You can't just force yourself into someone else's journey. The three of them looked to Pana. Bob was the one to speak. If you're okay with it, we'd be happy to join you. At least for a little bit. We've never traveled east of here. Speak for yourself! MC, please. Anyway, if you need anything, we would be able to provide some support. We're all pretty handy with a hammer and wood. MC can share some of our maps and knowledge with you, give you a better sense of what is out there. Pana thought about it. The idea of traveling with a group of people was not as comforting as it should have been. Last time they had been with the group had been their hunting party incident. Even before that, Pana had preferred to go alone. Sure, they had stuck close to Vare, but that hadn't gone well either. Bob and the others were incredibly nice, and Pana liked them very much. But who was to say that they wouldn't accidentally do something to anger these three as well? It was probably best if they continued traveling alone with Wave Skimmer. They remember how they had spoken to Sprarbor and lifted up the stone as the wave made its way towards the port. Being brave hadn't been a choice. It had just happened. Maybe now was an opportunity to be brave. Pana placed a hand on Wave Skimmer's side, steadying themselves. But what about your farm? They asked. Who will watch it while you're away? Bob smiled. Oh, Uncle Dimitri, of course. My good pal Jimbo. He's always there if I need anything. Superb man he is. With a smile, Pana nodded. Wave Skimmer and I would be glad to have you travel with us. And so, when the rest of the port had been rebuilt and the Vlaki house opened its doors and resources to the rest of the town's inhabitants, Pana, Waveskimmer, Bob, Tally, and MC boarded Lyke's ship. 
A number of other passengers seeking passage across the water joined them. Panna thought they had seen a white fur coat among the throng, but when they blinked, it was gone. The sun was rising over the water. Panna could see its reflection in each wave that lapped against the hull of the boat. They leaned against the side of the boat, placing their elbows on the edge and their head in their hands. It really was a beautiful world. A person walked over and stopped next to them. It was like she stood with her hands at her sides and looked with Panna out towards the sun. Her head remained motionless. I love the moment the sun rises over the waves. Panna felt their own head nodding. I've never seen it before. The sun never really rose back home. Some light broke through the clouds, but never like this. And there was no water there. Just ice. Well, what do you think? Like said. Her voice was soft, though it wasn't very smooth. Not that it mattered. Panna wasn't sure why they were even paying attention to her voice. It's beautiful, they said. They looked at Like. Her curly hair was tied back with a golden band, and her eyes sparkled with just a hint of the sun. She wore a red coat with tails that fluttered in the wind. Yeah. Yeah, it is. For a moment, the two of them watched each other, their eyes unblinking. Be brave, thought Panna. Then they both turned back to the sun, watching it rise completely above the water, showing the world below the entirety of its form. The boat and everyone on it left the port and began sailing out towards the sun. From the doorway to the cabin, Vare watched the two silhouettes hold hands. They stayed that way for a while, long after the land had disappeared behind them. Vare didn't know how long it took her to turn around and walk back inside the boat. She disappeared into the room that she shared with Kai and three others, and she lay down on her cot, ready to rest.